Welcome, goblins and ghouls, and all you other fools. Last year, we were one with the films, but this year, we are two with the films. We're bigger, badder, and definitely not better. And anyway, welcome to Season 2, Episode 19, and if you're thinking it should be Episode 1 because it's a new season, you clearly underestimated our dumb bitchery. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I'm sorry. But hey, better get to know what you're in for, so you know, uh, kind of get better at this. But nonetheless, we are your favorite unhinged, occasionally funny, but consistently debatably charming podcast equivalent of those shows that aired after the cartoons. We are Naked Night, but prettier. But speaking of outdated references, we're your favorite Jack and Diane, totally tubular, will they, won't they host. I'm Movie Caveman Third, and I am a terrible sight for sober men. And speaking of sober men, let's talk about the second sexiest man I've seen this week. He puts the Sherman and P. Sherman wallaby way. And if you're wondering what that means, just think about it. He's our fantastic Hispanic. He's hot, taut, and known as on second thought. It's my boy, Nav. Nav, care to introduce yourself to the public? It's it's the same problem every week where you're always like, introduce yourself after introducing me like that. And I've got, I've got nothing. I'm empty. There's, there's no piece of me that can introduce me better than you can so i'm just gonna sit here silently and enjoy that because it's good for me it gives me the ego boost i need to get through the rest of my week like i said always leaving you speechless is the favorite part of my week and but nonetheless nap are we alone today we're not we have a special guest keep helping us kick off season two episode 19 um yeah we have Estelle Wistia up here uh did you have an intro for her as well I do, absolutely. Of course I have an intro. That's what I'm here for. I Let's give her a bit of an intro. Work. This is literally all I do to prepare for these things. So here we go. So now, listen, obviously, Nap, you sold, you didn't quite sell her the way I got a seller. So here we go. So here's the thing. We have, we're talking about legend today. Spoiler alert a little bit, but who better to talk about legend with than a legend? Now, she's a familiar face and voice to those who have listened to the podcast before. She's a TikTok treasure and an icon in our hearts. She's a warm hug when you need it and a cold slap when you deserve it. She's a villain simper. We definitely need her and we certainly don't deserve her, but she's always our Star Wars Tia. Kari, care to introduce yourself? Oh my gosh, guys, thank you so much for having me on again. I am so honored to be here. Um, so like my esteemed movie man, like graciously said, my name is um Kari, aka Star Wars Tia. You can find me on TikTok and Twitter under the same handle and on Instagram as Kari Skywalker. And I am so excited to talk about this movie today with you guys. Oh my gosh. Oh, we've been talking about so trying to get you back to for a little while. Like I think I've been messaging <laughs> you a, a couple of times going, when can we kind of like edit this out and what film? And this one just came out of nowhere as well. I think originally we, we were trying to figure out maybe before the Willow show came out, whether we could get you on to talk about that, because that's another one of your favorites. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, this one came up and I mean, we've got a lot to talk about uh, this week. So obviously you've chosen this film. Um, yeah. We knew nothing about it. Like for me personally, I didn't even know it existed before you that's told me, crazy. which is insane. <laughs> and then I was going through the fun facts for it, which we'll read through in just a second too. Um, and I'm learning even more about it, which is crazy. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, why you've chosen this film and what it means to you, uh, before we go into a bit more detail and sort of review it. Of course. Um, I, since I was a little kid, I always loved, you know, everything nerdy, everything fantasy, Star Wars and, and all that stuff. And then Legend was a little bit more mature, I guess, for my age. Cause I was like, what, I don't know, in 
probably eight, nine, ten years old. I don't remember the, the let me see. What what year did this come out? Eight. I was, very, I was a little kid. Yeah. So I was a little kid when I first saw it. And um the way that the movie went, it wasn't as as kid friendly as it made me any other movie. So I was like, Oh my god, I'm watching like, you know, grown up movies. <laughs> yeah, like a unicorn <laughs> basically gets decapitated yes, in the first exactly. couple of minutes. <laughs> it's like it, it is truly one of those hot damn, that's that was a test. Uh, yeah. And then we get, you know, Tom Cruise with no pants on, so it's like, ooh, you know. <laughs> oh, wait, and then we just have and then we just have darkness that's just like I mean, it's it's not nudity, but it made me new. So it's kind of like uh get out. <laughs> and that was the thing. It, it I I was in you know, from when I was a little kid, darkness was scary as shit. I, oh I, yeah. When you see him coming through that freaking mirror, oh my god. But I just love the fact that it had, um, you know, as a little kid, you get uh, all, you know, happy and giddy seeing so many different, uh, you know, fairy uh, looking, you know, creatures and stuff, unicorns, the the goblins, the the elves, the fairies and all that stuff. And so much glittery stuff. So, it's so like, much glitter. Oh, my God. Every everything. close up. I was Even like, the, is this no, Twilight? Oh, What's going on? So much glitter. Even the snow had glitter. I'm like, where does it snow glitter? <laughs> exactly. It's just one of those are right, interesting. Yeah. Jacob says it was very graphic and slimy. Definitely yeah. for kids. And, oh, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And then just the certain certain things that they were showing and stuff. So, um, but it was just a fun little cute, uh, you know, movie. Like I said, and it it was such a fun memory for me growing up. And, and you know, obviously I watched it growing up. Um, and everything then. You know, obviously, I my taste started to change. <laughs> no, I enjoy darkness way more now. It might have young Kari being like, "Oh my God, Kari," and then adult Kari being like, "Satanas." <laughs> I mean, but I come to my isn't like a quintessential part of like growing up? And like it, that that's that kind of just transition is you just go, oh maybe uh. Maybe the person has a point. All I'm saying is I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like... The same sort of thing happened to me as well. Like, I was a kid and I was like, yeah, Padme, Leia, like, oh my God, my first love. And then a Sarge of Interest came around in my older age and it was just like, oh, yes. Yes! You're just... Every time she does, it's like, mommy. It's just one of those, all right, all right. And like, this is, this is doing it. I see, this is a little rat now. Like, okay, cool, man. Oh. Dangerous women. Absolutely, half like as as JJ has just said in the chat, t- like Tim freaking Curry, how can one not simp? And so I I I exactly. can. We're gonna talk so much about that, but before we get fully onto there, I just thought I'm sorry. I'm just looking. Oh, you go. You do your thing. Absolutely. <laughs> I was just more just gonna say for the uninitiated, for those who are tuning in for the first time, like I say, I apologize. However, uh, nonetheless, uh, we it's good that you tuned in because we have an incredible guest, just a couple of unhinged hosts. And now the main thing what we're doing is this is part of our weekly watch list where we. Uh, well, Nav, actually, you have a, a little thing for this. Why I was about to say, you're going to take, like, you're reading so much and always great interest. I have my little blurb that I worked on for so long. You're going to take that away from me. Well, listen, I like to do that. I mean, that's embracing. DL, watch him colonize that. He's trying to take everything from us. Oh, we know. Okay. Okay. Listen, the internet's favorite colonizer. You know what I'm saying? Like, so. <laughs> well, okay, so. Let's take back on my real quick. Yeah, right? Like, just, uh, anyway, so as Kay mentioned, we are back for season two of What With The Films, and of course, much more of the weekly watch list. 
Now, for the uninitiated, the weekly watch list is where we force each other to watch a favourite film that the other hasn't seen. And from time to time, we'll bring on someone with much better taste than us to introduce us to one of their favourite films and talk about it with us and just sort of talk about why they love it so much. It's a perfect little slice of the day where a bunch of nerds can obsess over the art they adore. Um, we have these videos live and on demand, so if you are live on the stream today, feel free to talk and chat. We'll answer any questions and talk and engage with you guys as much as we can. If you're on Spotify, feel free to talk back to the speakers, but there's not much that I can really do to make sure that I reply to you. Um, but, I'll make yeah. it work, because I care. There you go. All right, so you've got at least one person who will try and figure it out. I think they'll out. We'll run a competition one day where we fly one of us out to sit in the car with you on your drives and just, like, talk and react to your questions on our podcast. Just exactly. It'll be, it'll be on our, like, if we get a page for out, if you pay me a hundred bucks, I'll just go over and just sit in your car while you listen. It's one of our, um... Any way we can, bro. <laughs> hey, listen, that's that's that funny, all I'm saying. It's a hard time right now. Uh, it's a hard time. Very. Global recession. We gotta just find our entrepreneur areas wherever we can. If you got a hundred dollars to drop, listen. <laughs> I ain't above it. <laughs> if twenty dollars is twenty dollars, man. Um, all right. Well, let's you're, you're talk. They're saying it as if I have standards. Yeah. I mean, I know you don't. I've known you long enough. But let's talk about legend. Um, a little bit. So I've I've put together some fun facts. I've done a little bit of uh, exploration into the film. I'm gonna. I'm curious as to whether uh, you. I, I know you won't know any of this stuff, but I'm curious as to whether of this any of this comes as news to you, Kari, um, or not. But. Um, originally released in France on August 28th, 1985. It made its way to American screens on April 18th, 1986. It had a modest budget of $24.5 million and it made back $23.5 with some mixed reviews. Originally, the director Ridley Scott had considered Johnny Depp, Jim Carrey and Robert Downey Jr. for the lead role, but ultimately landed on Tom Cruise, with Mia Sara and Tim Curry playing the other leads. And Tim Curry's makeup in this film is considered to be one of the most iconic images in all of fantasy history, which I don't think any of us would disagree with. Um, the special effects and makeup were designed by Rob Botton, who is well known for his work on John Carpenter's The Thing. They were actually filming The Thing when Ridley Scott went to him and said, hey, do you want to do the makeup for my film? And he was like, eh, I'm busy. And then he read the script and saw the concept of darkness. And he was like, well, I got to do that. So he came back and he did it. <laughs> While they were in production, they actually burned down an entire soundstage at Pinewood during production, but luckily, no one was hurt. The original cut of the film was over two hours long, but after multiple test screenings, it was cut all the way down to 89 minutes for, North, for a North American release. Um, but they still screened a 95-minute release for European audiences, and uh, Ridley Scott was quoted as saying, you won't like this, um, European audiences are more sophisticated. They accepted preambles and subtleties, whereas the US goes for a much broader stroke. There you were just you say I'm educated as the next person. What are you trying to stay here, motherfucker? It reminds me of the last episode uh, with that we had JJ on. Where we were talking about how like nipples aren't okay, but guns and blood is. Um, <laughs> just about such decisions <laughs> in the states. I don't even can't handle tits. AR-15. You know what I'm saying? Like sort of. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, eventually there was an unrated director's cut released in 2002. It has a runtime of about 114 minutes, which helped it earn its place as a cult classic. So there are actually three different versions and three different endings to this film. Um, I believe I watched the European version after looking at what some of the different endings were. But I also didn't know there was a director's cut, and now I'm pissed because I wish I saw the director's cut. I just rewatched the movie um, 
two day, like two three days ago i saw it on amazon prime but i don't know which one they have where did you watch your i watched mine on disney plus yeah i watched mine on itunes so i was like i i didn't know what was so at least it's just thinking i was like what wrong with me no but i'm like i'm right there with you i'm pissed I think that's an Australian what thing. Oh, you goddamn Europeans! That's what no, 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 no. Like, no, no. Wait, you do you know what is funny? I have the damn DVD. Oh, that is so cool as well. I have the damn, and I still pay three ninety nine off Amazon. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. So yeah, but I, I, but yeah, I, I have this for you guys. The compliment. That is so cool. Is that a slip cover? Oh, oh, like look at all DVD. That is orange. The theatrical. This is the. Who says director's cut and theatrical version? So I have both of them here. That is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I saw this one. I was like, one day, just I went to Best Buy and I was like, oh, and it was there by itself. I was waiting for you. I was like, I was like my dear. Oh, I'm sorry, JJ. JJ just put in the chat European slander. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, I say it because I'm jealous. Like. I say these things because I love you. I say them silly because I'm married to one. And I'm like, you know, I'm married to a European. I goddamn love you, Europeans. I'm like, you know. Sauce. But about the U.S. Exactly. Say anything you want about the U.S. or take it because it's all true. And I'm like, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, um, it actually blew my mind a little bit about the other leads they were looking for, for the film. Like, even someone like Jim Carrey, like, that's yeah. really interesting. And we've obviously seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind now, so we know he has a range. Um, Robert Downey Jr., I don't know how that would have worked. I feel like Johnny Depp could have worked in, in this space. Um, definitely. Well, especially when you're considering the time. Yeah, like... Yeah, like, this... keeping in mind, all of these are, like, Tom Cruise, age-wise, like, performers. Yeah. You know? Um, Actually, I would I, I would have... Uh, I mean, Deb would have made more sense to me in that because Tom Cruise wasn't really about those type of movies, I guess. Johnny Deb, you know, has more of the affinity I, for it. If you're thinking, like... Because I'm right there with you. Like, that's something I will probably get into, like, mm -hmm. kind of talking about where it was, like... Because Tom Cruise was an interesting choice for this... And I, I have more thoughts on that later. I don't know if we're getting into that now, now for it. If you want to do that, like we will in just uh, a bit. But um, I suppose, yeah, like I agree with you too. Like it, um, and I was looking at for the TikTok that I made the other day. I wanted to see what did these guys work on before they got here. And like Tom Cruise before doing this did Risky Business, and then I think he had one oh, other yeah. film where he was he was like a, a high school film. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but he didn't have much. And then from this, he went to Top Gun. So like, I think that at this point in his career. Well, he was still kind of like, what What the hell am I? <laughs> what is my place in all of this? Nap, that's what they call just trying to get a job. Yeah. That's what it's called. It's like, yeah, whatever they put on me, I'm just, see what's thick. They're just like, hey man, like, I mean, I've met the acting, act, like, you're not picky. You're just happy that you got the phone call, man. Like, that's, like, you know, Ridley Scott picks up the phone and you're like, the director of Blade Runner wants me to do this fantasy film where I'm either Tarzan or Peter Pan, unclear. And I'm like, all right, so we're going to go. Like, so, and he like, agreed to wear a disco ball dress with no pants on to go defeat darkness. I mean... Listen, if that's not going to defeat darkness, I don't know what will. Like, that's... If anything, it'll distract him at least. Exactly. It, it, 
It certainly distracted me. So now, for what? So with this, obviously, you, as you said before, you and I, forget. I didn't know much about the film. I didn't even know it was Ridley Scott until your TikTok was made, and I was like, Ridley Scott did this. And again, I'm like Alien, Blade Runner, right Let's... after those two, and I'm just like, are you, like? And then I started watching it. And I'm like, this feels like a Ridley Scott film, and I'm like, all right, now I see it. Now I'm now I'm here. <laughs> Uh, so I didn't know much about this. Like, I was kind of with you. Like, I've heard of stuff like, obviously, Labyrinth and Princess Bride and the, you know, the things, because my wife and I were looking at, like, okay, what was the, you know, what was all of the, you know, fantasy stuff happening around the scene? I mean, Princess Bride. If finding Princess Bride it was after this, like, I believe it was, Labyrinth was before this, then it, then it was Labyrinth, Legend, Princess Bride, Willow was, like, within the span of, like, a couple of years, and I was like... Yeah. These all feel like they're in the same camp. Like, this feels like it's kind of in that that blended version of kind of this a little bit storybooky. Like, it doesn't... Because, like, I feel like Lord of the Rings takes on a different tone. It kind of tries to be, like... It's got, like, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones. They tried to do something where it's, like, this is full-on realism, pretty much. Yeah. Like, yeah. magic is here, but it's... This could be the... Well, the dialogue as well, you know, because it's... Yeah. You hardly get any type of real conversations, uh, yeah. except for maybe darkness with um Lily. Lily is a surname, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Tom Cruise hardly says much, you know. Yeah. The stuff that he does. To say, that's it. <laughs> it's, it's mostly it's just reaction shots of him going... Yes. And for those of you who are listening on demand, that's literally just a face. There, there was nothing special there. Just staring Cruz's face. Yes. Um, it's given that, it's staring like, and they're not a worried. Exactly. A lot of, just a lot of facial reactions, all I'm saying. But yeah, but so Kari, so when you, obviously we talked a little bit about it, but when you came in with this, uh, the, um, obviously this is a film that you have had on the list. You sent us this. What was it about this film that kind of resonates with you or when you saw it, like what kind of the core memory of like experiencing this film like, just tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think one of the things that, like, resonated the most with me was, um, so all that, that the theme song, I don't know, that always stuck with me. It's such a beautiful, like, especially at the end, uh, when they put it forward, when um, they give his the unicorn back his horn. That's, I forgot the name of that song. Right? It, it's, but it's just a beautiful song. And another thing that had an impact on me was when Lily was... Um, basically struggling with herself with her inner darkness to like you know the back and forth and then that dance scene oh, oh my god I, that was the dance yes yes really it was clever. beautiful things i've ever seen you know as a little kid it made an impression i mean even as i got older it was just such a beautiful thing um because it kind of resonates with me in the sense that that's how basically you know i've also the the way that i struggle with inside of me and my and you know emotionally or mentally and stuff it is it, i was like they're portraying this in such a beautiful way it's not, it doesn't have to be something ugly you know yeah um, but yeah that was one of my well, you, as you're saying you portrays the alluring nature of that kind of stuff without trying to paint it as i mean yes you have the literal like embodiment of darkness and the devil but at the same time they they have like that extreme but also manifesting it in a way that's seduct, like it's seduction, like uh, the seductrin, a seductness, uh, seducing nature. That's that's the word now. Thank you. Uh, so uh, the seduct, ladies and gentlemen, the American education system. 
I don't know what you said. I know the word. I just didn't want to correct you. Exactly. I couldn't so, I, I, I'm like, just going to sit word? in the corner, guys. All right. <laughs> All right. And introducing JJ to take over my spot. And so I'm like, hey, who is this? Honestly, I wouldn't be mad. Like, so. But nonetheless, uh, it, it, I do think that that was a very unique way to portray it, as you're saying. And so were you shown, obviously you were talking about you were shown this as a kid. Was it something that kind of just your, uh, like, your parents came uh, like it came to you with this or just said, oh, like, turn this out or just happened to be on? Like, what was it kind of that oh, ended up getting there? Um, it was, uh, I think, one of my aunts. My aunt is very, like, she loves all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, her, one of her favorite movies, The Fifth Element. So, you know, okay. like, she's always like that. Um, and she loved Tom Cruise. Uh, and another thing is that, you know, like, I'm going to tell you something about, like, you know, being uh, a grand, a kid, you know, uh, being the kid of an immigrant, they really don't pay attention to what you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, because normally a lot, nowadays you're like, oh my God, he's too young to watch stuff like that. Or, you know, it's too violent. Or They're like, listen, it's in English. Go learn. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, um, for my grandparents, it was like that. My parents were pretty restrictive of what they made us let us watch. But I think because my grandparents also didn't understand English too much either. Like, one of my grandma's favorite films was, like, Major Pain. And she'd be like, all right, guys, come and watch this with us. And I'd be like, I'm six years old watching this movie. And I'm like, what is going on here? Um, it's, just, it's just, it's a wild thing to choose. as like, your favorite things. Like, Listen, I was watching freaking uh, Predator when I was a kid. I was watching Terminator. I was watching, you know, gold, like, you know, very mature stuff, you know, stuff that kids are not supposed to be watching yeah. but to them it was cool move. it was just something cool they didn't they didn't understand too much of you know because it was in english so they're sure it's cool i'm like okay yeah terminator bless these people <laughs> it's like yeah it's not real that word affect you you would have nightmares see my, my my grandfather did a similar thing but with braveheart where it was one of those things of going i, I was what but it was more he was watching it and he goes he goes, you're old enough to watch this, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm a kid. Like, I just said, yeah. And then we're just watching Braveheart together. We just got like, and I'm like. Braveheart was when they were taking his intestines out. Oh, exactly. Then that was when he realized maybe I made a mistake. It was kind of like. <laughs> but there's no backseat at that point. You can't. Oh, well, at that point, we're in, we're in it too far. It's like, that. that's not going to. That that's not gonna like Grandpa, what's happening? He's like, Oh, there was a snake inside him. He's saving him, he pulled the <laughs> saved him by taking the snake out. He's tickling him. That's what's happening. Tickling him to death. That's exactly how this is going down. <laughs> um Oh my god. But going off of that, so with the uh obviously with all the, that experience with it, uh going to Neff obviously this was our first both of our first introductions to this film like i like you nap didn't know this film was a thing until i saw the image of satan then i was like okay i got it i i, I know that i didn't know tom cruise was in this i didn't know anything about it but i was like i know that which also goes to show you how iconic the depiction is uh but nonetheless nap how did you feel upon watching this your first time like first reactions uh so i had a great time with this uh, but I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Um, I know that, like, for example, when we watched Black Labyrinth, um, there were a lot of things there that I took away that I was like, okay, cool, there's a lot of stuff that I really liked, but then overall I was like, I don't know if this is for me. Um, then I kind of expected to go into this film kind of the, the same, 
um, or like have that same experience coming out the other side. There's a few things that I really, really liked. Um, and I think one way that the film kind of, what's the word, kind of like won me over straight away was with the opening. Like I have to play on Disney Plus and usually you put play on a film and you've got all these studio credits and these opening titles and all this kind of stuff. And this film just fades in from black to a forest and it's a Ridley Scott film in red. And then this, this legend. And I was like, Ooh, this, I, I like the way we're starting. And then it cuts to darkness with the voiceover and it's just the panning camera. And I was like, you are doing a great job of just setting the tone of this villain. And then when you get that kind of juxtaposition with the light side of things, um, I'm, I'm going, okay, I know where this is headed. So, oh, this is going to be interesting. But there was heaps, heaps that I really like. Okay, here's where some of our uh, differences in viewing might have started. Uh, I don't know about, Kari, if you're in the same thing, but I did not get a... You talked about that when we called and, like, you were watching and I wasn't. And, uh, like, at that point, and then I watched it last night, and you talked about this monologue. I didn't get a monologue. Mine was, like, a Star Wars crawl. Of, of, uh, like, a had that page and a half of, I'm guessing, what the monologue told you. Huh. And I guess I, I started out, too. I saw I the crow, and the vampire has a crow. Yeah, and see, that was the thing. Like, like, and, and, you know something? That was weird to me because I was like, I don't remember this from other I'm guessing it was probably a, a so I probably had the European Yeah, because she said it was three different versions, right? So. Because that sounds much better. Because I, I like the crawl was interesting. I just had no concept for who was what and what was this. Because I I was joking with my wife and I started off because she was in a different room and uh like we were gonna watch it together. And so I was just like, I'm gonna joke around, she hasn't seen it either, so I'm gonna read it out to her. I underestimated how much text there was. So I'm reading what I thought was gonna be like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. I like the very start of like it was all like that. Yeah, yeah. See, my opens like this. No. No, that's not how ours started. Oh my god! (laughs) So the thing that you really liked about this movie, neither (laughs) of us can relate to. But I do remember that from the... Sure, but the actual... You have to then, you have to watch the Disney one. Okay, yeah, I want to watch that. It was so different, because when I was watching the movie the the other, you know, recently, I was like, I don't remember this. I was like, when did they have this? I'm like, and then now that you told me that there's different versions, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. It's just all these really cool shots of the forest and just the red riding over the top. Like, see, that so- see, that sounds a lot cooler. But see, that came afterwards. Yeah, that, but even then it was like, I, but I bet that it's longer in this version. Like where it's like, because cause cause the, thing, the thing for me that I was going to give the film a knock for was saying that like, I didn't, fe- I felt like the, the beginning was so much I had no idea. Like, I got along with it. Like, it was fine. Like, it didn't it mess with my experience. But I just kind of assumed there are certain aspects of this I ain't picking up. I'm just going to watch it. But I'm guessing that it was probably because of that, that it wasn't as smooth of that narration. But nonetheless, the... Uh, it's still but an hour 35. So I think I watched the European cut. That's 95 minutes. But, um... <laughs> what? Yeah, because my... Let me see my phone. Only... The hour and 30s. So that's how mine opens. Like, and I was like, that to me now. You gotta give me a warning. I didn't have that. 
No, I would have remembered if I had that. Oh, my God. I remember that from the other time I watched it. Yeah, and so you've got this basically Amazon Prime, all I'm saying, fix it. So you have this shot here of his, like, castle. Yeah, I could be up for free on this. Yeah, and his, like, sudden shine is my destroyer, and I was like, all right, cool, man, like, but it was in this there. And it's punch. You got just these thick visuals, man. That is just insane. It was I'm like fucking awesome. Oh, but the visuals throughout the, the the movie was just beautiful. I think that was the other thing that I appreciated a lot. Like mm -hmm. it felt because I think I'm pretty sure they've shot it all on like a soundstage. But like mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I remember just while I was watching the film, my sh my thoughts were like, and actually I did a letterbox review for it afterwards, and in there I wrote, it feels like a, a live action Disney film, but not soulless like the current versions. Like it just. It, it feels exactly like that, like a fairy tale that he wanted to tell and do it on live action. And he very much uh, gets that. And one of the ways that he does, like, kind of makes you feel like you're there is a lot of the, um, like, camera work, for example, is it's not just, like, a static camera watching people. And when it is, I also found that, like, it's almost like the camera's hidden sometimes, especially early on, like, there's shrubbery in the way. And it kind of makes you feel like I'm peeking in on this world. And it kind of slowly opens you up to it. And I was like... This is just like, this is masterful. I'm loving this. So cinematography in particular, I love. Um, oh, I gotta agree with that. Like, the, like uh, just to jump in here with that, the, the thing that really blew me away, and, and it, it was the stuff that I talked about with Lord of the Rings, and this kind of had similar vibes to that, is there are shots in, like, Lord of the Rings that are, it's so, it, it's so stylistic, but it also feels so grounded at the same time. And there was one shot that was done. Like, there were a couple of the shots here that I, that stick out of my mind. One was, like, the tracking shot. I think it was post the unicorn death that was, like, tracking through as the snow was kind of there. Like, it started off as kind of like a pan, but then it starts actually, like, following along the ground. And it's, like... Or there was one when they're sneaking through the castle where it starts off, like, seeing them, and then it follows them. So it was, like, a pay evasion for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, like, something like that. Like, it was just a really cool, like, I can't remember the exact details of, like, what surrounded the, those shots, but it was, like, it was such a cool idea that it, the way that Ridley Scott kind of played with the camera, colors, all the design, mm -hmm. felt so grounded and felt yeah. so real. And uh, it, it just, the, it, it felt like Ridley Scott was really taking the story seriously, and there were some of the stuff that was a little... Um, labyrinth or things like that, which was a lot of fun to have the silliness come out. But I, mm -hmm. but that was the one thing that I wondered if it was more the fantasy of the times coming into yeah. play, yeah. where it was like almost to me like it in some somewhat holds some of the film back a little, like not in a bad way because again this film is great. This film's this film knows what it is. And that's what's beautiful about it is it kind of has it knows exactly what the assignment it is in in almost to a T for me fills every like checks every one of those boxes. Um, but the one thing that I felt like was some of the fantasy of the time. I couldn't tell if Ridley Scott wanted to be more serious or if he wanted to go back. Because again, as you said, there's a lot of really darker elements 
that I can't tell if some of the other stuff was pulling away from that too much because it was too much closer towards the Jim Henson side of doing things mm-hmm. versus going a little bit further. But I can't tell if that was just held back by the times. I don't uh, know if you guys felt a similar yeah. impression. I don't know. It, it, you could definitely tell, you know, the the, the change in tones, like they're very kind of uh, abrupt sometimes and at certain points. Like but you, you go know, from Doug Berman's to like the slapstick comedy kind of. Exactly. Yeah. So that you definitely could tell the the the, the, the difference there. And um, another thing that you know, going back real quick to the whole you know the visuals and stuff, um, because like what we were saying with the Lord of the Rings and like you know um, we get such beautiful wide shots of like you know huge things, but then in in Legend we get such like focused shots. You don't see these wide shots of these crazy mountains and crazy, you know, meadows and stuff. Everything is just focused on what the the area that they're in. And I love it because we see the detail. We see them, you know, it, it's more, like you said, intimate. It's You see the beauty of the leaves or the beauty of the floor and the snow and, you know, and the flowers and, you know, all of that stuff. So I, I like that even though it's not like Lord of the Rings visually, it's still beautiful. There was... um. A moment in there that I really loved, um, which was when he busts out of the ice and then he passes out on the snow with uh, with Jack. Um, and then we kind of move away from him for a little bit. We follow um, Lily's story for a bit. So we come back to Tom Cruise and there's like a little fairy, a little light. And I remember just watching it kind of go across the screen and I was like, this... Like, did they draw this in afterwards? Because it kind of looked like they did. But then as you get closer to things, you see the light reflecting off of things around it. And I was like, no, this is like, this is like a little light bulb on like a string that they're dangling through. Because especially when it gets close to his face and you see the way that it like lights up his face and stuff. I was like, I can imagine sitting in the theaters back then going, how the hell did they do that? Well, I think nowadays you kind of, you, you can pick up on that stuff. And I think later on in the, Murzy, um, there's a sequence where that same thing happens, but you can actually see the little wire holding it and bouncing it around. And I was like, ah, I was right. Um, but I had a really good time trying to figure out a bunch of stuff like that. I, I wanted to make a comment on the unicorns because there was one point, I think, at the start of the film where I was just watching them and I was like, they did not like those horns because they look kind of majestic, but they also look like they could Check the one of them, like, you know, turning, yeah. They're like, yo, can I rub off on each other and stuff? Like, trying to take it off? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those things where it, it, but also to that degree, the horses, the way that he got some of that stuff, the horses are acting in this movie. It's a great example of that kind of, like, the editing making that work of, like, making them look frightened and almost like they are a character. I'm like... That was really powerful. Like, I really felt for these. Like, um, uh, I don't know. I just thought that that was such a cool effect that they were able yeah. to really pull off. Yeah, they do really look majestic in some points. The way they're, like, just walking towards, uh, you know, like, you know, towards a shot or towards some or towards Lily and stuff. They look, they, they, they're, 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 their heads are very held high and stuff. It's like, yeah, well. Very, very majestic. I, I love that. I think that even like uh, the way they portray like the sorrow when there's the unicorn, the, the body, and the other one's there and they go over to it and even how it like it looks angry and it looks upset and it's like, I'm going to hurt you basically. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. There was another thing in the, another moment in the film that I thought was really, really cool. Um, and it was basically like the first look we get at darkness, but not like a real look. And I think that that's something that works really well in this film as well, particularly for my version, where you get the tease of the voice and I am this, I am that, it's this dark, brooding, uh, and I was like, oh God, like this is very cool. Um, okay, question real quick. At the movie, in your version, you don't see darkness until... till he comes out of the mirror, yeah. And you see my version? We got to see him from the beginning. Kind of looking like... His, he was yeah. talking to father, to father. With the so, green eyes. Yes, with the glowing... He looks a little bit like deal. something out of one of the Disney movies where it's yes. like these gray, gray skin, green eyes. So there was yeah. a section in the film where he's talking to father, but that was closer to the end. Like after he's captured Lily, he's talking to father, and then father's like, uh, hypnotize her. Take yeah, no, that we you, got that. You sound like you watched a better movie, Nap. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> but that's you, sound... like you have the see. This is okay. All right, all right. I was gonna save this for a bit, but this is where I get really mad at Ridley Scott films. Like now, I'm gonna say it's a Ridley Scott problem. It is because it is. I don't think because I don't think that it's his full fault because studios are dumb. But I'm also like, I get so mad because I spend two hours of my time. My time, somebody says, go watch Blade Runner. And I'm like, okay, bet if I type in Blade Runner, I'm going to get the movie everybody's talking about. Logic would dictate that that's how that works. However, what I have found with the Ridley Scott film is, like, you have to type it in and then you have to go look up on Google. No, you have to waste your time. Watch the wrong version first. And then if somebody say, oh, man, you got to watch the other one. The other one is better. And I'm like, it's a different film. He didn't even watch it. But that's what I'm saying. Like, when I saw that, when I saw the, 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 the him at the beginning with the glow, and I'm like, am I going crazy? I'm not remembering of this. And you have the DVD. That's and so, I'm glad that I feel validated in like how I. Oh no, because the version that Nap saw is b better because I love that that we keep the we keep a darkness mystery of how to itself until that crucial. Because I can only imagine what that effect would do. Him coming through that mirror for the first time—that is the the one of the biggest freaking scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. Because even, um, like, so, so the film opens, and for UK, because uh, Curry's already seen this version, but um, it opens with that monologue, and then there's the back of the chair, and he's sitting in damage, you don't see him, and there's the little goblin girl. That's better. And he goes, go in, there's, there's two horns, they're going to kill me, you got to get rid of the things with horns. And then she runs off to kill the, the unicorns. See, mm. in our version, in our version that we were watching, uh, in the basically what it is, is you see the reverse shot of you see his face. Like, as he's talking, which I agree with you, like, it made me wonder also, I'm like, okay, so you had green eyes and, you know, red skin, why does he all, of, or like, he has gray skin, why does he all of a sudden have red, this is a better version, but that's fine, like, uh, yeah, gray skin so, to start too. yeah, like, I, I think that that was supposed to be in darkness, yeah. like, he is yeah. supposed to be kind of covered, so I took it as that, but I also was like, you low-key look like, I forget what I Disney movie. The, the glowing, the glowing, the dark nails and the things did not work. It didn't work. It, it just didn't work at all. Especially at all. with how good he looks later. But ultimately, like, that's my only thing with any 
like it's not so much with Gla- Gladiator, even though I think Gladiator does have some fair amount of like deleted scenes that are like pretty good. But uh, Gladiator's the one that I'm like, no matter which one you watch, you watch the right one. At least that's what I've kind of put together. But it, but Blade Runner and this have the two things that I'm like, why, why do you do this to me? I like I I. <laughs> I think it's also how they're named though, because like for Blade Runner, you need to watch the final edit. Like that's that the version they have the director's cut. But like, like but that's the thing, right? Director's cut sounds more important than final edit and final exactly. edit like, is yeah, listen, yeah. that's the one you gotta yeah. watch but then i'm like but wait, wait. which one is the one that you watch on disney plus if it said director cut or the theatrical so mine definitely wasn't the director's cut because it was still only an hour and a half and the director's cuts two hours um so i think i saw the european cut and you guys saw the u.s version because the other one does no because the one on amazon is an hour and a half yeah so the only difference between the european cut and the u.s cut is six minutes so 89 minutes, would for, so for you guys an hour and a half, yeah. And then mine was 95 minutes. Um, so well, how, how much... You, hey, if we wanted to tell somebody to go watch it, like, how can we say, oh, you go watch Legend, but it hasn't saved it. No. I'll look at my one on here as well, because it doesn't say Both Legend. The issue, Nap, is I think that you guys have different movies on your Disney Plus than we do. Yeah. Because there's oh, a huge thing where your Hulu yeah. is also kind of, like, for us, Hulu is kind of stuck with your uh like yeah okay, I, I, found wa- the, I found the thing okay and, and amazon it says legend theatrical version theatrical version watch the director's right. cut. got it got it um i actually am probably i'm gonna try and find the director's cut and watch it in a couple of weeks after this to settle down and it's on prime video so if you want to watch that one perfect yeah let me see My- what it says on on disney plus see if it's a different my feel- I can't believe this. I was like, I think, no, I feel bad at 82 with my cake because I was like, wait, I know. I'm not yeah, like, because I was like, because when Naf was just reminding me what he was saying, I was like, man, this opening wasn't as powerful as you were making it out to be. But then I'm like, now that makes a hell of a lot more sense. But nonetheless, like, my version on Prime is theatrical release. So just because I picked it up on yeah. Disney Plus, I got the European version. But I'm interested to like, I don't, we don't, I don't have it more in the US. Disney yeah, Plus. yeah, also, I, I, yeah. That was what I, I think it's because of the different. Uh, yeah. Like I think that star, I think stars is tied into yours too, so maybe that's a part of it. Uh, but okay, so, so then we have to watch the director's cut to get. Yeah, so exactly, but but honestly, it's one of those that that was the thing that I felt with this film was I like the concept. I think there are just scenes missing that would help make it flow better. So ultimately, to me, I'm like I think that this is a director's cut that at least in my in my time that I can I would love to watch because I do think that it's a good story, and I'm very interested in hearing it kind of more portrayed that way. Uh, the one thing that that I'll talk about because I think that I do want to talk about uh, two things that I or at least one thing that I really liked and then one that I know that we already kind of got into the discussion of it, but I want to discuss it in more length. I think Mia Sarah is incredible in this movie. I think she steals the show. I think that well, I mean, Tim Curry steals the show, but like the the he doesn't steal a shard cat. It's his shard. That you're correct. It's the Lars in a It's it's Tim Curry's. It's Tim Curry's world. We're all just living. Where like they thought the legend was referring to Lily or exactly. no, no, like, the legend is darkness. The legend, the legend. Exactly. Like you are one hundred percent correct. My bad. But like the whole thing yeah. was so good at 
portraying the nuances and the like fear and i feel like uh it's really oh my two credits just stopped in just to say uh hello hi hey like fantastic thank you man but uh regardless uh i, I just i felt that she brought this innocence as as she needed to but then also was able to when that flip happens she can play either version it makes complete sense yes um i definitely am aware of that i definitely felt that and i think that with some of the things that she did that were really really good is like um particularly her just wanting to go and touch the unicorns i was in the same boat as jack where i was like what do you clearly he said what do you don't do that but stop <laughs> the fact that there are consequences to her actions and she feels those consequences basically immediately too, where they run off and she doesn't know that that's happened. And then later, you know, she's hiding in the house and they come in and they've got the unicorn horn. They're like, ah, we got it because that girl touched it. And she's upstairs crying. I was like, yeah, damn, like that hurts. And yeah, to your point as well, I remember I was watching it and I was like, she's like, she's really beautiful and she's great. She's doing a fantastic job. And then there's the dance and the split to the dark part. And I was just like, mommy. I'm. <laughs> I need to fight. I need to do it. Like that outfit, let me tell you. Black lipstick, too. Black lipstick is awesome. I don't know why I haven't seen more cosplays of that because that outfit is fantastic. Yeah, I was talking to, um, to Kit on Instagram when I did the post. Yeah. She was saying that that was one of her favorite outfits ever, or one of their favorite outfits ever, I can say. And um, I, I was like, I'm surprised that I haven't seen that cosplay because even like. There's a similarity there with with Kit and Lily. Um, oh, absolutely. So I was like, I, and if you're in chat, then yeah, I'm, that's a good cosplay. <laughs> yeah, it's it, beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous, and it's not too complicated to get, you know, to, yeah. to like, like. And I mean, I I agree with you. Like, I think that it, it's it's such a beautiful, beautiful costume. And again, it's, and the scene is so symbolic. Like, it's a very interesting theme to go with the idea of like what draws us to darkness it's kind of like ray's storyline in star wars like it's particularly yeah. in the level there yes great thing where she looks into the somehow the darkness uh, but so uh, we're back and I, we're back yes <laughs> i love the nuances too about um i guess how it kind of foreshadowed or kind of spoke about lily's nature of at innocence being still able to get um guess tempted because we see yeah. that first with unicorns it, she's that temptation is still going to be there no matter how much innocence you have you know mm. and then that's when we see also see her struggling again when she's being tempted by darkness with the the you know the beautiful bling and the beautiful stuff mm. and, and everything oh I, I i i thought that was a little nice you know uh discourse right there with that Oh, yeah. Well, then going off of that theme is so powerful because you have a whole thing dedicated to this concept of innocence and uh, how darkness influences innocence. And one of the things that I, I found interesting and I thought the film actually explored in a very nuanced way was the idea that, like, you know, I feel like especially at that time, I was kind of surprised at the message being sent because I was wondering how would they phrase it or how would they focus that kind of thing. Yeah. And... um but I thought it was really interesting that they kind of made innocence being less about a state of purity. Like, cause, cause I feel like people often equate purity and innocence. And I don't mm -hmm. think that that's true. Cause I think innocence 
is a lack of world experience. Purity is like all, is almost in in avoidance of it. Because if you want something to remain pure, you don't go anywhere because in mm-hmm. like you know you don't get it anywhere near contaminated. Yeah. But innocent doesn't necessarily have that same connotation. And I thought that this film had a very interesting exploration of that, which was kind of really cool to see yeah. and especially done in a way that she was tempted. And I didn't know how she felt where I'm like, is she playing him? Did she actually fall? Like when yeah. Bob Cruise is questioning that in the movie, I am questioning it too. Uh, like, yeah. I, I'm like, brah, she got like, I don't want it to be true, but like there is a distinct chance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Could you imagine if that's how it turned? Where it's like she just cuts the head off the unicorn, like that is how it goes. That is just. <laughs> There's a a couple of things I wanted to talk about with that as well, because I think that um particularly that dance um that we keep coming back to of how it shows her darkness and how she gets you know kind of enveloped by it. Um, yeah, you know these days you see this similar scenes a lot in the way that you have things like uh, Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin, or like you know. Uh, Gollum and Smeagol, where like you do have this kind of uglier version. Reparation. You know, think about yeah. Yeah. even something like with the Green Goblet, how they had you know the mouth, not the mouthpiece, the like what do they call it for his teeth? Like they had things mm-hmm. went in his teeth to make his teeth straight when he was playing Norman Osborn, and they take it out. So you have Will of the first Gaptoos because that's what signifies evil, Gaptoos. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But um, he. Like, you have these, the, the way that they kind of connect these people a lot of the time, especially, like, later and in more, like, recent cinema. But just, yeah, the way that that showed up, and it's just, there's no question about it. We don't know whether that was just something that was happening in her mind or whether it was actually something that came in and possessed her and made her that, like, no idea. Um, but it just, it was so beautiful. And the score as well is just incredible. Like, the music is really, really good in this film. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it just, it was insane. Um there's so much to to really love there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and it's one of those things where it, it's, and going off of that, I do want to ask you guys, because we were talking a little bit earlier about those other actors that were considered at the time instead of Tom Cruise. Uh, that's one of the things I was really interested in, because obviously we, we'll talk about Tim Curry, because once we start talking about Tim Curry, this podcast is over, because that's just, <laughs> that is, that is, that's, that's going to talk about. You know, uh, but my the one thing about Tom Cruise that I, I agree JJ was talking about in the chat earlier about like his charisma. I, I mentioned earlier, it felt like they were trying to either go for Tarzan or Peter Pan. And I mm-hmm. don't know if they landed on one of those. Like they're kind of like you're just kind of a murky middle without succeeding at either. Like he's not bad, but it just doesn't add anything like typically Tom Cruise being in a movie the part tends to accentuate some of his stuff that he does with it, like, especially now. But at the time, I agree with the idea that I think Johnny Depp would have been a a more of a thing that could have added to the film. He also has that, um, like, Johnny Depp, I don't know how to really explain it, but he has, like, that face, you know? Like, he has a very unique face. So if you put him in a fantasy film, you go... We're in another world, especially young Johnny Depp too. You know, with the cheekbones and the hair and the like. Hair. He yeah. would have fit this role very, very well. His, oh yeah. His eyes, like just you know the way he looks at you and stuff. Like when he's um in the movie um, I Baby, I think that's what it was. Oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sure. It's just um, the the. the you've never seen Cry Baby? 
Uh, nope, just looking it up. Yeah, no, I haven't seen this. Okay, like he, you know, because as the name of the thing, he's a, he's a sad boy. So you could see those facial, those, those softer tones of the, the of the, and his facial expressions and stuff. And I think that would have worked so well in in some in the Moonlight Legend. Yeah. Only when it, it's it, most of uh, the character of Jack is mostly facial expression. It seems. Yeah. Add too much dialogue. Absolutely, it's kind of the thing of like when people have interesting faces. Like I, I know, like, like even you... even with well, yeah, exactly. So you listen. My long-haired, my long-headed brethren and I, we've had, we, like, as a part of the long-head uh, card-carrying membership club, the Benedict Cumberbatch and a fair amount of other people, uh, I do have a thing about faces where I do think that the law, like, there are very interesting things with faces, and uh, obviously, like, you look at Tim Curry in this movie, I think that there are actors that obviously they get put under a lot of prosthetics, but there are faces in a lot of like you talk about Doug Jones with a lot of the stuff that you did, whether it was Shape or Water, um, you know, a Star Trek Discovery. You know, Doug Jones does a fair amount of everything, um, but it, it is a really hard thing to get actors with the proper right faces for prosthetics. You know, kind of, and Tim Curry, the fact that not only it it fits him, but it it accentuates his features, and it's like it it takes what he has and basically doubles down on it in a way that also is one of the most complex prosthetic jobs that kind of seems to have been done where it's so seamless, but he's able to still do his, like, tiny micro-moves to, like, I, in the eyebrows, like, you know, the, the lips, the everything. It's like, but it's so seamless because even stuff like, as much as we, we love it, like Lord of the Rings, even Gimli at times, isn't able to articulate his face yeah. too much because yeah. of the prosthetics. Yeah. He also had an allergy, but same idea is like you never know. Yeah, and I think that that was just a compliment to the whole team there. And I think that as you were saying with Johnny Depp, I think somebody with different unique facial features would also help with kind of uh, the fantasy world and kind of going with it and feeling, oh, this this works. This yeah. this feels like it has a good element to it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I think that uh, it's it's interesting how that has kind of changed over the years too. Because obviously back then you've got a lot of that kind of stuff, a lot of prosthetics happening, um, and that yeah you're able to kind of still see the performance flow through. And then you move to things like Lord of the Rings, where it's a little bit sort of harder with some people, and even with some of the orcs, they're quite you know this part's kind of what's called movable right, right, right. for the most part. Yeah, like there isn't heaps there. Um, but then I was actually thinking about with uh, darkness. He was reminding me a little bit about how they did, um, like, for example, Cad Bane last year in the Book of Boba Fett, where a lot of this part of the mouth was like, you know, you can really see the anger of him articulate. And obviously up here, they've done some enhanced visual effects stuff for his eyes. But particularly the bottom half, where you really still see all of the jaw move and all of the lips move and the anger and how everything is really easily articulated. Um, yeah, it just it's, it's really cool um, when they can still make that come through and that's why uh, that was the and this this that's a very important point um to bring up because that was like i guess one of the you know a lot of people complain about cat bane because that his nose wasn't where it's supposed to be and that he didn't look like he was supposed to in the thing i'm like and then you know it was where like but that's because in real life action we he needs to be able to talk and move yeah. and like you said 
that made it so much better because now we could see actual emotion and movement in their face instead of just like some stiff thing like we had in the prequels or even in you know the the original like trinity reader right just the yeah so we've got that you couldn't do anything you know it was just mouth talking that's it yeah or he had to like so stiff to to move around and stop uh um so i think that's very important like so, such props to all like the, the the practical effect people that worked on it and and, and the customer and stuff and on darkness as well, we, I read that it was uh, basically six hours in the makeup chair every day for him to get him ready for that. Um, I can imagine. I really loved, because it's not just the face, right, too. Like, it's this whole body prosthetic. And one of the things that I thought was really, really cool is that first time that you see him in my cut of the film um, is when he's coming out of the mirror and the hands come out like this and it comes out and then the hoof comes out. It's not a foot. It's a fucking hoof. That comes out yeah. and it's like, boom, big ass. Boom. And I was like, all right, this is where we're going with this. Um, and it was kind of like, I'm thinking about it now, like it's it's almost like a Beauty and the Beast moment too, in terms of connecting it to that Disney mm-hmm. story, um, where there are actually parts there where he's like, you know, sit, have dinner with me. Like, let's, yeah. it's going to be fine. Like, you'll see the true me. You get it. Because he's talking to father and he's like, Basically, I'm in love with this person that's just shown up. She's perfect. And I'm like, yeah. she is. She is she perfect. Really is. <laughs> and, you know, but it is kind of with what you're saying. Like, the, the even, uh, you're talking about kind of how he comes out of there. And I think that Tim Curry, he, he does this all the time in, in everything that he does. But he just understands how subtle to be. Because I, I, would, I would assume in when you have those kind of prosthetics and you have this larger than life character with horns the size of Montana, like, you know, on your head as you're trying to grow, it would make you want to go, oh, oh, like kind of, you know, yeah. Going, yeah. or being very, you know, theatrical with it. But yes, just, yes, yeah. no. Like just, it's so... Very subdued. It, 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 it's like so much better. Hour. Because it is that sort of thing that draws you in and you want to know more. You want to have that. And again, it's the alluring power of darkness. Like, it literally is, he is embodying the embodying the theme is, yes. you know. Yes. yes, absolutely. And just the way he laughs and, and, and like, smiles. And uh, I'm just like, oh, my God, yes, okay. Take me. All right. Come on, come on, let's go. <laughs> like, forget her, she doesn't want it, I'll take it. Yeah, like, I'm just there. Unicorn, why? I think that uh, out of the other parts that I think really work for him as well is that, like, I think probably because of Tim Curry's work in things like Rocky Horror Picture kind of before this, like, there's an element of darkness that's kind of, like, a little bit androgynous, like, 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 Oh, there, there is a lot of femininity to his role and there's a sorry to his performance and a lot of masculinity, and it's I don't, I don't know. I think that's one of the things that does make it like really sexy too. That it's just kind of like, what am I looking at right now? Oh my god, <laughs> stop! Like, what? Am I looking for you, friends? Oh my god, okay. Isn't it right? Oh my god. Um, yeah, you're trying to figure it out as you watch it. Um, and I think that that's so muckly and thick and uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, but then the move is so like you know he's got these beautiful little like, yeah, I want to say like, a dance. Yeah, like, that's him. That's like Tim Curry just does this so well because he's like so big. Yeah, and be so gracious even with all of that muscle. Yeah, JJ says it's very female gazy. You're yeah. absolutely right. 
like, and I was just doing some research, and it's really interesting because, like, it doesn't appear that uh, Tim Curry is in, uh, like, it doesn't appear that he's, like, part of LGBTQ at all, which I've, I'm finding surprising given his roles. But obviously, actors, actors be acting. <laughs> and so, um, you know, my, uh, but I do agree with that idea that it felt like there is just a viewpoint on this, whether it was direction or his intention it regardless it coming off more female gaze than anything else easily that is 10 times better than going with macho you know even just even just from a standpoint of complexity it's like much more complex to do that uh when you think about seducement like seducing somebody you don't think aggression you don't think aggressive yeah think you know like very intimate and personal and like you know like and then his hands. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Where's my notebook? Here we go. I'm ready. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, comment of the notes for later. The hand movements when you were something that well, that it was just eerie. You're just like, oh my god, I'm mesmerizing. That hand around my neck right now, just like the, you know? Yeah, I get time. Well, yeah. I think that if probably. It's so good. Like even how the camera chooses to do all close-ups with that. And and also with the prosthetics being typically with prosthetics, I would assume like even on, on my element of filming, I have rarely uh, filmed with uh, like in my own stuff. I haven't filmed much, much with people wearing prosthetics. Uh, but a lot of times uh, people tend to shy away from the prosthetics because it's like if you look too long, they start to look fake, you know, the sort of thing. But this more kind of lead to it was like, it was like we're gonna not only do this, we're gonna get right up on you, full on. And I feel like that's probably why six hours in the makeup chair. It's like you're gonna need to be like impeccable by the time that yeah. like we actually get like you're gonna be right here. I don't intend to break away. You need to stand up to that degree of like of of you know scrutiny. Yeah, I want to go back to the previous point for a second as well. Um. Because I was thinking on that point that you were saying around like how, like probably when this stuff comes out, it's it's like during an age where I think people, particularly men, look at a character like that and they ask the, why is that sexy? Like he's not, you know, any, any of these things. And it happens a lot, particularly with things that are built more upon like the female gaze. And one of the things that I've found a lot more in watching older films is that when your villain or your characters act like this... Um, even with, you know, they have a little bit of femininity to them or it is very much focused on the female gaze. It tends to, as it's aged, I look at that and I go, oh no, that is sexy. But when you flip the cards on something like when I watched, for example, Top Gun for the first time and you've got all these macho men doing their thing that I imagined back in the days, the guys were like, yes, we're men, war, look, oh, they're going to get all the bitches. Yes. You watch that again now and I'm just kind of watching it. I'm like, this is so gay. And like that's fine. They're totally fine. But I just I watch the the macho um, men from like that time over time has grown into feeling like something really different than what it was at that time. And the female gaze or that aspect of it has then kind of evolved into retaining or even growing into something a bit more sexy. Does that make yeah. sense? That that connection that I'm making. But we anime does a very good. Uh you know, um, job with the villains in that sense. Because a lot of these anime villains are very, like, you know, feminine, uh, uh, coded, and yeah. very sensual and stuff. 
So I think question, that's what, yeah. Well, also a question for you guys with that because that that brings up a very interesting point. Do you think that the inherent not not inherent necessarily, but like but like because we talk about the female gaze and obviously a lot of people tend to confuse what that means or mm-hmm. does it necessarily in in, in kind of like to some degree the male gaze it's kind of hard to pin down you just know it when you it's kind of that adage of you know it when you see it kind of thing of uh my feeling on on my question to you guys is do you think that these inherent qualities in villains particularly because it tends to not be as much in heroes Mm -hmm. like like there are don't get me wrong and we'll talk i'm sure there's a couple that we can point out but i'm just i find it interesting that they all that a lot of times it chooses to put the the villains have these qualities and i don't think it's always as a standpoint of making them feel more sympathetic or things like that i think it's an interesting thing that i'm like are these qualities trying to be associated with more villainous well, characters I, mean, I don't think it's as binary as that like i'm not saying that people no, are no, no. like oh femininity is bad or i think it's not a standard point though because i think but it's interesting that we're talking about this mainly with villains yeah you know I mean, just look. I'm going to show you the picture of darkness right here. This picture, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Like, you see just the way that he's standing. It's oh, crazy. He looks crazy, motley, and all that stuff. But then just the way that he poses. It's such that. a very... Yes, exactly. And it's not a macho pose. You know, like what we consider macho pose. Very... Like, look at me. Yeah. I'm, I'm gorgeous, you know? And... I said that to your point there, Kate. Like confidence also um, with that. I remember watching a video on YouTube, I think a while back, where they were talking about how like, even so like Disney, for example, had basically codes all of the villains as queer. That you don't really realize. So you go back and watch them again when you look at Jafar or you look at these people that, you know, even your, uh, what's his name? Like Scar. Like you look at them and, and the way that they've designed them, they've got the makeup similar to like drag. And, you know, you compare even Scar's body to um what's his name to Mufasa's body or Simba's body like you've got like they're completely different um and again you know Jafar versus Aladdin like they're slender they've got basically what looks like makeup and stuff on and it's almost like in their facial expressions because they do a lot of though yeah oh yes and it's like they want even they also dress impeccably (laughs) exactly but it's almost like um like I mean, we all know Gaston is gay. We all know Gaston is gay. We totally. He's waiting pretty. And like you know, it's one of those things where Gaston is lying to himself. But let's be honest, like with this sort of. Um. Yeah, but like you've got yeah so many things like that, and I think that a lot of the time, the story that they're trying to appeal to, particularly in like these heroes' journey stories, is like your main character is he's for the boys you know like a lot of the time that's who he is and you have other stories that come around where like for example we can talk about like lord of the rings where like aragon isn't necessarily like Viggo mortensen isn't necessarily like conventionally attractive but like this strider's got this vibe you know what i'm saying like that man fucks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all the Lord of the Rings, you know, all the Lord of the, but that often comes down to perspective. Like exactly. all of the Lord of the Rings films are, like, yeah, Peter Jackson's involved, and obviously based on Tolkien. But Philippa, like, uh, I'm blanking on Boyens. Philippa Wall, like, what was it? Philippa Boyens. Uh, I, I, is it Philippa Boyens who wrote Lord of the Rings, or are you yes. messing with me? Philippa Boyens and Fran Walsh, and yeah, Fran Walsh. Yeah, I, I, I knew Fran Walsh. I didn't know Philippa Boyens. 
Uh, I did. I thought that I didn't know that was her, name, her last name, but I knew because I know Philip and Fran was always what they referred to on the documentaries. But yeah. the fact that they wrote it, 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 I think that that's where you get a lot of that, like you know, female quality to it. It's the same reason Frodo and Sam, like the the vocal thing behind it, is that heavily involved with uh, the female from the down to the creative mm. aspect, which I think is very important because you're not going to get those as you're saying, Kari. Like you're not going to get that with full-on male writers like even coming from my own perspective like i think the only reason i feel that way is because my part of the lgbtq community i think because i relate more with female characters than i do male that's what leads me to at least try to do that with my own writing but nonetheless it's like the thing of no noticing that it really occurred to me about how much you see that in then there are characters that also take on a life of their own like you have mandalorian and I don't know if that's also because, like, you have Din Djarin that can't do that. Like, because it's, like, because he's wearing all armor and all the stuff, they can't rely on other tropes. You know, they can't do it, so they have to be creative. And it's like, well, you just you just made the hottest motherfucker in this past couple of years. Like, you know, you're just like, <laughs> let's be... Let's be like the expectation of, like, what the studios and the creators expect their audience to react to masculinity um is very different to kind of how it actually is um and i suppose it even comes down to like i mean jj's talked at this at length is like even things that for example that when men talk about the men they find attractive and women talk about the women they find attractive where the guys are like henry cowell ryan reynolds and i saw jj's tiktok on this the other day on the smash or pass which was brilliant by the way <laughs> um no. you, you see that you can see those all those dots connected um and a lot of the time yeah those pass are the ones that the boys are usually like he's the one who gets them all that guy right there and in reality like it's not really what people are looking for he's the one that they want is what it is so it's yeah. like you know and i'm like that's what i'm saying like the the whole every time they you know the, the that conversation came up with namor because you know namor is not your conventional Super muscly and like, ah, uh, you know, nah, but he's not a shredded dude, right? Like, Bill, he's not a, he's a tank. So, you had, but I, many of the comments that were like, oh, buddy, he doesn't work out. What kind of physique is that? Or, or, were from guys. Yep. The woman you seen, I'm pretty sure you see the woman are like crazy over him. Oh, yeah. As the guy, Neff and I are crazy over him. Let's be frank. <laughs> like, it's one of those things that's like, you know. But that's not funny. Like, you're absolutely right. Oh, but why is he not ripped? Why? Well, he should have hit the gym. And I'm like, who likes it? It's like, for, for also, for uh, also, for instance, I'm like, he is built. He, it, But that feels to me like that's practical ass muscle right there. That is like legitimate. It's like, like, that person. Like, it's full in like, God of wrestling. Wrestling had what thing like you know like a like a wrestler would look like like if you're like a heavy heavy pound boxer you know Bane like it's you know it's kind of like Bane in the Dark Knight where it's like uh, or because when he has that whole vibe it's like that is legit muscle immovable that is not that's not the I dehydrated myself to get my six pack look mm -hmm. that is no. I, I will end you and you won't see it coming. Like, kind of, in, and I think that that's one. When we talk about this stuff, what I get frustrated by is because I think that there is a vast majority of Hollywood that has misled, like, the, the male gaze, even. I would argue, like, that there's a reason we see a lot of gym bros and things like that because you see the whole Chris Hemsworth or Chris Evans, they take their shirt off. Everybody's like, oh, ripple apps and six packs. Um, 
the thing is, is a lot of those actors have to dehydrate themselves and barely eat to get that. And they get it for one day of filming, you know, and it's one day of filming, but then it's immortal on film. And then you have a ton of people trying to re recreate that in their own life daily. Yeah. And it's like, that just isn't how it works, you know? And I, I remember even reading on um, Hugh Jackman's experience on the Wolverine and him just trying to get that one shirtless scene. And he literally didn't drink water for three days. And he he even says he's like if you watch it you can actually see that he's disoriented on set, um, where it was just that one piece. Well, yeah, he's in good shirt off and he's walking through the the like little village or wherever where they are, and literally all of that for one shot. And I mean, he looks like he's chiseled from marble. He looks like a, like yeah. a human god. Yeah. And yeah, like it's just insane the amount of crazy that they go through to get there. And you know what's curious too, like, um, back in like, in the 20s, the 30s, I was in a thing, like the whole chisel muscle thing. You see like who was a strong man in movies and stuff. It was just that thick mass. Thick it wasn't, not. yeah, it, it was like, it wasn't you, you, I, you know, from the movies that I've seen from back then, you know. Um, from the 30s, 40s, and stuff like yeah. that. You don't see cut-up men with six-packs and stuff like that. It's just a big muscle, you know, just pure mass type of strong man, you know? Yeah. Even thinking about who was the leads in that time, well, it was a lot more charismatic individuals where it was about the charisma. Like, you had the Jimmy Stewart's, like, we watched Rear Window and things like that, where it's like, you have the Jimmy Stewart's, you have all of those kind of more... You had to have the charisma. Because you weren't going to, because, because they weren't doing the conventionally like attractive, like sort of movie star kind of thing. But even going to what you're saying, like my, my feeling is I wonder, cause this kind of interesting when you see kind of trends of that. Cause I was wondering like, when did that start? When did that really start? And I gotta say, I think it was Marvel that kind of started doing a lot more. Like, I don't think it was just them. Don't get me wrong. Because I think like kind of early two thousands were kind of doing that to women was doing that, like, okay, full-on bikini, babe, like, kind of put everybody in bikinis and, like, shots going through, like, you think classic Fast the Furious, like, crowd scene, and it's, like, people basically just, for some reason, stripping on a beach, pretty much. <laughs> and, like, uh, and then it's, like, but then as you move forward, you start to see, I think, as Marvel starts to kind of pick up speed and putting more of, the, and kind of creating a trend with it, almost to the point where it's, like, okay, well, this is what the new thing is, is have every Marvel actor has to have that kind of shirtless scene. Like that kind of tends to be this yeah. thing. Because they and really I... wanted to bring that comic look. Yeah. Yeah. Because the comics, they look ridiculously cut, you know? Yeah. And understandably so. Like that's, and again, a, a actors, like why wouldn't you want to look great and to have people kind of do that, you know, sort of uh, like you got the result that you were looking for, you know? And, yeah. But it's, but to me, I find it interesting now that you're seeing how even more tastes are changing. And kind of going a little bit different. And I find that just endlessly fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, we got, it's cuffing season. I'm a big boy. We need a big boy. And, and it's like, just with that, yeah, you you see that. I think they, the uh, media just tried to define what our tastes were and just like generalize what we liked as women, I guess. And even as, you know, even as men and stuff. And now with social media and, and all this stuff, we, we're finally seeing how it's so different than yeah. what they've been, they've always tried to sell to us, you know? Yeah, it's a lot more of a global, universal uh, discussion now where people can also point out 
this is what we like. I mean, even if you're thinking like back at Tumblr days, like that was kind of how people got to know what people were into, you know, like kind of that whole thing there and ships and who people ship with who and the kind of ways of seeing that it's a fantastic journey to see the world kind of going on. And I think that is the benefit of something like social media is we're able to kind of cut through some of that bullshit and kind of get more to the point of, hey, this is truly what people find attractive. Mm -hmm. And it, I think that that's a beautiful thing. Like, I think that uh, femininity and a lot more about the emotional connection people have is equally, if not more important than having the traditional masculinity. Yeah. And especially, like you said, how kind of diverse that is for a lot of people too. Because even those things aren't going to apply to everyone a lot of the time. But it's really, really interesting where you have a platform like TikTok now where you can put any thought on the internet and chances are you're going to find a million people who agree with you, even if you have one follower. Like, yeah, it's very interesting seeing all that stuff for but, um, Yeah, but bringing that back into Legend for a minute, um, obviously we were talking about some of the things that we thought maybe didn't work for us with the film that much or that could have been done better. And we, we spoke a lot about um, like Tom Cruise, for example, like obviously he's a great actor now, but for me early in his days, even watching something like Top Gun the first time, I was kind of like, how did you become the it guy? Like you're not that good. <laughs> um, but naturally, I don't know, he did a lot of work and maybe Scientology helped him, all that kind of stuff. Who knows? Uh, but eventually he became a pretty decent actor. Um, yeah. But I think it's the charisma. The The first thing I ended up seeing him in, like the, at least to my knowledge, the earliest in his career, because I still haven't seen Sun Like Risky Business. Um, what I thought was really interesting was um, seeing his uh, part in The Outsiders be so, he is a presence. Like even in that film, you can tell there's something about that one guy when he enters that like now we know him. So maybe it comes from that too, but it feels to me like this sort of, like, some, there's something about you. You got something different than these other guys. Uh, and I and I feel that uh, you see that a lot more, and I think the reason after Risky Business and Top Gun, especially Top Gun, he became such a star, because in Top Gun he is so damn likable, even though he is the kind of arrogant asshole he has that personality that you're just like, ah, I like it. I like you despite myself almost. Yeah, yeah. It's a different type of charisma that he brings to, you know, to the screen and stuff. It's the, even though, like you said, even though he can be a little bit arrogant and stuff, but he's just so likable in, 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 in those movies and the way he acts, the way he, he's, he laughs, like he smiles, he's like, hey, what's going on, guys? You know, type of attitude and stuff for those type of movies but it did not work particularly for me in legend because that's because he tried to change that demeanor from him and that's not the type of energy that he brings you know he has a jump different energy thinking of it um do you think that it has a bit to do with like the ensemble as well like he doesn't have heaps of people to work with here for most of the film like a lot of it like half the film he's basically alone or with mia mm -hmm. and uh sorry not mia with uh lily I think there's even that moment early on where she goes to kiss him and he's just kind of like, and she's like, are you, are you scared to kiss me? I'm like, he is, he is scared to kiss me. I <laughs> he is scared to kiss me. I wouldn't be. Very. Um, each mace, <laughs> but, but, I, but I think that that's sort of your, like, like getting to the point of it. I think it also is the archetype. Because Tom Cruise, when you think of Tom Cruise characters, 
nine times out of ten, he tends to play a person that either has, like, top of his speed. Like, he tends to play the arrogant really well. Of, like, maybe even, like, he tends to play the competent also. Like, you think Mission Impossible. He knows, like, he might get in over his head, but he always knows that he's the best person to send on the job. Yeah. So it, I feel like he doesn't play that underdog really well. Like he all like even if you look in something like A Few Good Men, uh, which is yeah. probably one of my favorite Tom Cruise performances, mm-hmm. he is known as the best in this kind yeah. of field. Even though he kind of when you get to know him more, he's not. But his charisma makes you think he is. Yeah. So I think that the issue is him playing a kind of Frodo archetype kind of playing the underdog oh he probably won't win doesn't work because i think tom cruise believes that i'm going to win regardless like that's just his personality yeah but i just i think he can't play the humble you know i think also it, it it our views are skewed because we seen him first doing these other movies sure exactly like if it was if we, if we would have seen him back then and 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 I'm pretty sure anybody that watched the movie back then uh, when it first came out before they've seen him doing all these other you know amazing other movies uh, yeah action movies and stuff they it probably worked for them oh he's cute he has yeah. he has a cute face but for us because we know since we've seen him and, and and what works for him in all these other movies and we come back and see this it's like yeah, and it's also just the age of experience, you know, where it's like, again, as Naf was doing like, the math on it, like, uh, like the guy was like 24 when he did this. And it's like, OK, you know how much he probably improved in the next even just the exactly. next year. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I mean, again, as you said, Top Gun was next. Like maybe a, a lot of the stuff from this movie taught him how to do okay. Top Gun better. And I find that to be such a really interesting thing. Like, I agree that maybe another actor would have been better for this role at this time. But still, it was like one of those things where I'm like, he does have that. It worked for me the moment when he is ho- holding that bow. Like, I feel like oh, no. that And part... the actions, I think the actions, the actions um parts, the action scenes, it worked. Because now we see, oh, now there's our Tom Cruise, and you know. There you go. That's what he does. You know, when he's fighting darkness, it's like, oh, there you go. That, that's him. Oh, yeah, that fight. And if he's using his little disco, you know. <laughs> I've got a question for you guys as well, just on some of the other cast. Um, there's the Gump, um, played by David Bennett. Um, I, I also, yeah, low-key about Gump. I, I I just couldn't stop thinking Tom Hanks anytime someone would mention him. Like, that's I'm the, the Gump of the oh, Forest. Yeah. The Gump of the Forest. I was like, no. That foreign right. I was just waiting for darkness to look at him and say, <laughs> I was waiting for darkness to look at him and say, Your mama sure does care about your education, son. There's this one thing I need to talk about because this has happened to me twice in the last couple of days with two separate actors. Um, so, Legend came out in 1985, right? I am not. The, you've got The Gump, played by David Bennett. And so I looked up how old, what year David Bennett was born. And guess what year he was born? What? 1966. So he's 20 years old during production of this film. Probably 18 while they were filming, 20 when it released. Oh, God. I'm like, I'm not. And as far as like, can I be how old I was? Yeah. Oh, that's a dude from Star Trek? I was like, oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, like, and this is it had the bath there, right? And Sarge, I was like, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like, it's like one of those things where it's like, eh. My book. Andor, when I looked them up, I was like, oh, like, who's the attendant? As far as I can oh, yeah. tell, um, like selected filmography, I don't see a Star Trek film or show here. But like he didn't do much. Like um, Legend in 1985 and then some other stuff as he got older. But first film was called The Tin Drum in 1979. Um, but yeah, like, it, it and, and I was reading on this before as well that that's not his voice. They've dubbed him over the top with somebody else because his original voice, he had a very thick German accent and they thought that US audiences wouldn't understand what he was saying. So they had actually a female voice actor come and do the voice over the top. But I think that's what really makes you feel like like it, like it's a child. Um, oh, and, yeah. I thought it was for sure a child. That same thing happened to me with, with uh, Willow, um, where at the point of filming Willow... Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh my god, how am I black? Warwick Davis? Yeah, Warwick Davis. Um, he was 18 when they were filming Willow, and I thought he was a lot younger there too, and in, um, in Return of the Jedi, which is only, you know, a few years earlier. Um, yeah. eye-blowing to me. Uh, but yeah, this guy was like... Sorry, I was confusing that, yeah, that's why the Star Trek, I was confusing the actors of, um, uh, David Bennett with the one that did the Goblin. What did I... Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Right. I forget the name, but I know who you're saying. It was, um... But do you know what I'm talking about? He was in Star Trek. I just He was under the oldest prosthetic, so I didn't know that was him. Yeah. I, yeah, let me check it there. But, like, my, like, the one thing that I wanted to talk about as well was this didn't help my thinking because he dressed... I was wondering if they got Tom Cruise's original costume, if they just gave it to Robin Williams and Hook like I, later on because I, 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 when he comes down I'm like oh it's Peter Pan look at this and then what happens is Tinkerbell shows up and I started having the whole thing I'm like and then you have a guy that's a villain in the red and I'm like okay alright now we're here like and of course like Hook the guy in red steals the show like you know so, uh, another thing that I just saw here as well that I didn't realize I was just looking on Wikipedia and going down a rabbit hole here and Mia Sara who plays Lily um, got married to Brian Henson in 2010, who is the son of Jim Henson, who worked on Oh uh, Labyrinth. Oh, uh, uh, okay. That's right. Weird little connection there. <laughs> um, but yeah, like there's so many insane little things like that that came up, and one of those sequences that I really liked in particular was about halfway through the film where they've got the unicorn horn and they're using it as a wand, and that little goblin is, you know, doing all her rhymes everywhere, which is heaps of fun. Yeah. Oh, um, Cargus, that's the guy. That's him that plays the goblin. Right. That's the oh, idea. Okay, but yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's the guy from... The yeah, I recognize him because he, he's in, um, what, Voyager, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. I think what it yeah, is. he's the doctor, like the, the AI doctor in uh, Voyager. Yeah. I did not see enough Star Trek. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Alan introduced me to him, and I, all I know is Voyager's my favorite. That's his so, wife, I think, so, yeah. Yeah, like... Jane, wait for the win. Uh, uh, what was I saying? Um, what was I saying? Oh, sequences that you like. Oh, yes. So, they're halfway through the film. They're playing with the unicorn horn, and they're at, like, these are all the bad guys that are around the fire. And um, uh, they're, like, basically kind of fighting on who's going to have the horn, who's going to take it. And Darkness shows up, and he's 
you know, covered in a cloak. You don't see him. And then this little dude grabs it and he's like, I am the big bad guy now. And Douglas is like, learn your place, bitch. But it actually got me with a bit of a jump scare is when that skeleton comes to life. He turns around and he's like, boop, the skeleton comes up and then it grabs him, walks up. I was just like, hi, so cool. That is um, and the, yeah, there's so many little moments like that in the film that are really, really, really cool. I'm a big, you know, practical effects person. So all that, that whole movie was full of like awesome, like the, the Lake Witch. When she oh, I was, I forgot I about that. that was... Lady Proxima. That reminded me of Lady Proxima yeah. Solo. Was kind of like that similar effect of like, but I thought she was great. That like, and... sort of a, just kind of that whole look to it. I was like, dang, that is creepy as hell. To that point as well, like, in that moment where he actually got a bit more to do, I felt a bit of that charisma come from Tom Cruise. Like, where he's kind of looking at this creature, this thing, and he's like, but you're so, like, just look at your own reflection. Oh my God, you're so beautiful with the majesty of the sun and the sea and the stars. Oh my God, wow. And, like, I, I felt that a little bit more. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, it was. it's crazy because, like, until you mentioned that, I almost, I forgot that she was in the film. It was almost like a fever dream right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just so cool. And yeah, particularly the prosthetics on that were insane. That's where you really, I suppose, see that stuff come out. Um, because you've got yeah. part of it as in, like, you know, let's cover a man in latex and have him perform. That's one part, which is already really good. But then you get to basically puppetry with this person too. And it felt very much like Labyrinth, like that Jim Henson kind of mm-hmm. really in-depth, intricate puppet. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was yeah. really really cool. I love it. Like it's such a, uh, it's such a cool moment where you know, again all this stuff where you're talking about practical effects and the ages of practical effects, and I think that this truly does benefit from being that sort of in depth, you know. And as you were saying before, Kari, like you know what I thought was also cool about the cinematography was how it focused so much on the detail, like 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 on on certain things where it didn't show you the whole thing, but almost that made you want to see the whole thing more, but not in a way that felt limiting. It felt like it was an actual, like, real correct way of doing it, which I, I, I loved, personally. It also makes us feel like... You're part of the story. It's here. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, you, what they're showing us is what I would be watching if I was right there in that in that moment. Yeah. Precisely. Indeed. Right there cleverly using a lot of POV shots as well like for example when Nia's upstairs in the house when it's frozen they're downstairs and the way that you shoot those goblins is through the holes of yeah exactly what she's seeing is what you're seeing um they did a really really good job of making you feel part of that um and I I can't stress enough how much I want to see the director's cut for this film because I think that in terms of like any notes or negatives like there are some elements where it almost feels like it, like it's missing something like, there's little pieces that just aren't there that I want to know. Because almost like it jumps from one scene to another scene very quickly. Yeah, I it, agree. Particularly that final act, for in my cut of the film, felt a lot shorter than I would have liked it to be. Um, yeah, like, it's... it's. I gotta check and see because I, I think my version, or the version that we saw, I think the yeah. fight was a little bit longer than the version that you... I From what I remember, I think it is. Yeah, you know what it seems yeah. like? Yeah. The cut that I saw was more like... long, right? for them yeah oh yeah um but i think that yeah a lot of um what happened in my cut of the film was like a lot of the film is a lot more like uh, i don't know if it's throw but like contemplative like it, they're just they're sitting there and they're, they're thinking about a lot of things there's a lot of conversation a lot of the time um while also yeah trying to move these things along and there was another 
characters in there, I wanted you guys' opinion on as well, because it's the one that was shocking to me. And it was when the, the fairy becomes a real person. Yeah. And I was like, those eyes are very creepy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, when she's like, you don't want to kiss me? I don't, I'm not good looking to you. I was like, what? What? No, ma'am, no. Like, no, it's very pretty. Trust me. It's gorgeous. Those things where I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, just, why am I more attracted to darkness in this moment? I don't understand. There's a lot more of a, my preferences are really put on display at this moment. And they had to with me where I was like, oh, well, she's supposed to be very, you know, luminous and, and beauty and stuff. I'm just darkness. <laughs> where did darkness at, Elizabeth? I need to just know how this is going. Like that truly is how it feels inside. For I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I need, I need that. I think that that's hilarious. You know, it's just it, it truly just shows. Like again, they did a really good job of ver uh, of how they production with their with just the the evil part of the movie. It was, it, 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 it was done so well that it that it kind of upset everything there. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's just, I I think that. If you sit and run through the film, like and I, I wrote this in my note here, I was like, if you run through the film with a fine tooth comb, you're probably going to find a lot of little things that'll bug you. But I think that it also, it it does a good enough job early on of like like telling you like, hey, that's not what we're here for, you know? Like you're not like there's there's no reason to do that. Just yeah. sit and enjoy. And I saw that uh, Neil Gaiman kind of wrote that as part of his review as well of the film, where he was like, there's a lot of ideas here that work um, in terms of a fantasy. Um, I think overall he was one of the people that's kind of like mixed on. He says there's like a lot to love and some things did really work for him as well. But it's like, if you want to go in and just have a fun time with a fantasy, you're going to have a, a great time. And yeah, like the camp that exists in any non, um, like any non, like non-fiction film or like something that's not trying to be realistic is very prominent when you watch films from like back in the day. Yeah. Um, back in the day. but damn man, like it works. It works. One of my favorite parts was when we see the demons cutting up a body, and, and when we thought oh, that was so hacking at him, I'm like, what? Well, I was like, I was like, are they cutting it up or are they like tenderizing it? Because I'm like, I thought it was just like that. That was the vibe I got, especially when they were like, oh, this is still like this is how they're doing. It. I'm like, wait a minute. So I was right. They're just going like bam, 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 bam. Like I was just a bed, and it's just this poor He's guy alive. And I was like, oh my god, how, how did I watch this as a child? The court of course. And it's like it is this thing that's like such an uh, out of the box thing. And then you have like the, the the other creatures that are like with Tom Cruise the whole time. That I'm like, this feels out of labyrinth. And then I see shit like this, and you can understand why I feel there's a whiplash in tone. It's just going, but it's but as you were saying, you have features in them. Bam! It's it's exactly there. It's like cute, oh cute, oh there. This kind of this just really intense. Oh this, I kind of have a really good feeling about these. Bam! 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 Like just kind of, I'm just like, all right, this feels like the '80s. The prosthetics on those, like, I can't I remember if there was an actual name for their, like, species, but, like, those dwarf-style creatures, um, the prosthetics on them were incredible as well. Like, oh, they're, all, they're like, more like a gnome than a dwarf. I don't know if they, like, is that, I don't know if there was an actual name for them in the film, but, yeah, that, they were really, really cool, and how they almost, that's, I think, what kind of gave it its live-action Disney feel, where they were yeah. just, like, a little elf with long hair. If they were all, like, the gump, 
then like it probably would have felt quite different. But yeah, these little like elf dwarf gnome creatures that have these pretty intricate, intricate, yeah, um, designs on their faces with the big noses and the cheeks coming out, and the prosthetics almost like change the shape of their head entirely to make them seem like they're puppets. But as far as I can tell, there's people under that. Um, oh yeah, I agree. Very very cool. They did so cool because you could they were they were you could they were you still able to move like normally, you know, yeah, with the expressions and everything. So that was really cool. Um, and I, I think that it, as you're saying, like the, and, and ultimately I, Nav, I, I agree with that review where I, what I was seeing was this is beautifully shot, beautifully designed. The concept is really cool. There's a lot of things in here that I think really do work. I would say that overall, do I, it, does it hold my attention as much like, or not even that it holds my attention. I think that, again, as I talked about at the top of this thing, the film knows what it is. It's not trying to tell you like anything more or less. Like, uh, yeah. and I think Even that in terms of like the villain literally just being darkness, like nothing. It's just a personification of evil. It's not yeah. anything yeah. that you need to go. Hmm, it's not a, it's not a character. Is it? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a being. It's a being. It's like he's a character, sure, but he's not like a, a again. As like you're saying, like he's not a Kylo Ren. Exactly. You're not watching Gustavo Fring trying to figure out what's his deal as the evil. You don't have to sit down and have a conversation of, oh, we have to break this down and see what. No, he says, listen, I want darkness. I like, I love her now. I want her, and that's what I want. Exactly, and I and I think that that's kind of the the whole vibe that I find to be the most interesting about it is this kind of. Um, I don't know. I just I find that part to be very intriguing is kind of how the film knows what it is simultaneously with all the rest of it. Cause with the, cause when a film knows that, then I feel like I can give it a lot more leeway in, in how he said you like, I'm, I'm yeah, exactly. Like again, set your rules for me. If your rules are that this is how it works, then this is how it works. Like I got no reason to do it, but as long as you obey whatever rules you set, I'm good. And I think that they did that. And I think that is it one that will go down as like one of my favorite fantasy? No, but I don't think it needed to. The film knows what it wants to be. And it's it's this beautiful film. It goes in the same category as Labyrinth to me. It's fun, but it also has this like seriousness to it that I wasn't expecting. And I thought that that was really a really cool thing. I think adding to that something really interesting about kind of all fantasy of that little era, that 80s period is all of them are, you know, quite similar in terms of their feel and vibe, but each of the roles are focused on, like, a different aspect of it. Um, like, yeah. again, watching something like Willow and even Labyrinth as well, like, Labyrinth is very focused on, like, uh, it's kind of almost like a coming-of-age aspect of it. Um, and then you've got this, which is very much just a good versus evil, and you have something like Willow, which is very focused on family, and, like get something different from each one so i think that any person that you talk to about the fantasy of this era is probably going to have a different ranking of those you know what four-ish films depending on their life experience uh yeah which i think yeah. is really cool as well yeah and i think that it is cool to be able to have that little sense of uh preference you know like you don't not everything is going to work for everybody but it's like it's cool to know why something like labyrinth and i think w one of the, the reasons why naf and i love doing this podcast and what i think that anybody who listens to i think that they get an enjoyment out of it too is the idea of i think we find it really fun to talk with you and hear oh this is why lap this is why legend really meant a lot to me 
And then we talk with Kit and it's Labyrinth and it's like both of you guys like both, but it's kind of like, oh, but this one. And then it's like, well, why? And it's like, what personal experience kind of brought that to you? What is it just ex exposure? Is it this thing there where it's like, is it just the types of stories you like more? And I find that that's what's cool about talking about this is there's no right or wrong, you know, this or that. It's like, like even the reviews, it's like, yeah, if we're reviewing Citizen Kane, maybe there's a certain level of doing this, but it's like, but what are we, why compare one versus the other? All of it is really interesting. And when you watch these films, it's like, I think this film is un, uh, like undeservedly slept on by people. Yeah, absolutely. Like the fact that we hadn't even heard of it. Yeah. I think that that, that is like, it'd be one thing, like I've heard of Labyrinth and I'm like, oh, okay. Eventually I'll get around to seeing that. But I think that legend deserves to be in that same word of yeah. mouth notoriety. Yeah. That's why it's like, I, I think it's like, a, you would consider it a cult classic. Yeah. Because like it just that and people read it like that unless you bring it up or, or you show a picture of darkness because you should yeah. at one point or another, you've seen him and you know, oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that uh, basically everything you're saying makes perfect sense. Like, um, I think that the film works on a few, a few levels for me as well in terms of being really, really enjoyable. Um, and yeah, like, honestly, I understand also why I didn't hear about it when I was young too. Because like, again, we spoke about it at length, but like my family was very, very, is very, very deeply religious. There was no chance mm. this film was going to be anywhere yeah, nah. in my household when oh, I was a kid. It just it was not going to be a thing. Yeah, I we lived with my grandmother. My grandma was like ultra Catholic. There was no way I was going to watch that in my house. Like, yeah. why? That's why I was like in my aunt's house. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like it, it's one of those things where yeah, that that ain't coming anywhere near within like a ten foot pole, like you know, sort of thing. I think that also. Just in terms of seeing how fantasy has developed over time, any person who's, like, you know, getting into film or even loves things like, you know, if you've watched your Lord of the Rings-ish and you, you enjoy that, and you go, yeah, where did that come from? Just out of nowhere. It's like, no, no, it didn't. Like, there's a lot of stuff Lord of the Rings does original in terms of, you know, bringing it to the screen. But, yeah. you know, things like, for example, like I was saying, there's got to be a scenario where Peter Jackson's even, I don't know, he lived in New Zealand and stuff too, but probably that feeling of like, oh, somebody's used my home to make a fantasy film, I can probably do that with Lord of the Rings where we inevitably get around to stuff like that. Like everything is influenced a little bit by everything else. And it's very interesting sort of flipping those cards and having seen everything that I've grown up with from, you know, the 2000s onwards and then going back and even with all of the films that we've watched for the weekly watch list, all of the older stuff and going, it feels like that influenced this when it's actually the other way around just because of how I've yeah. seen it. Um, but it's been really, really cool to see that kind of stuff. Um, but then you're saying that for like, especially with fantasy being the thing that we don't have as much, you know, there isn't as much of a test group for that. Like there isn't as much of a wide berth as we would like, but then you see stuff like this and you go, oh, people were doing this. Yeah. It just wasn't the degree to which maybe something like Lord of the Rings did or got the notoriety and the for lack of a better phrase, the uh, permission to be accepted. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, because a lot, because again, you, it makes, it gives me more appreciation for the stuff that changed the game when you realize where it came from. And the fact that like this stuff walked so something like Lord of the Rings could run. Yeah. You know, like, and I think yeah. that's, 
it all has to come from somewhere because they had to have precedent. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really interesting. Yes, you're exactly right. Right. Absolutely um, right. I agree with that. Did you guys have any other favorite moments in the film or any other call-outs you wanted to make? I kind of made all of the ones that I kind of have felt. Like, I think that we, or yeah. if I had it, you guys did. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I know. I I'm... think, uh, so I'm going to just mention from the the one that you watched, Naf, with, <laughs> um, the beginning of how we just heard um, Darden's voice and we didn't get to see him. Because that really, that moment was really cool. Oh, yeah. I think that that also was. I'm mad that I didn't get to see that. Oh, I'll probably just even just pull up that scene just to hear it, just to yeah. see that. But like, I, I think it I, works I, on multiple levels too, because yeah. like, uh, it introduces you to a version of him that's like wholly evil, and then when we actually see him later, we see a version of him that's kind of like distracted by love a little bit, or infatuation yeah. is probably more likely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of building up this version, and then, um. Yeah, basically subverting your expectations. Not unlike another fantastic film we often talk about on this podcast. The last two. Well, that's two. That's two. That's two and a half. Um, you, got, you got your quota. Hey, you said we're two with the films. So, <laughs> uh, exactly. So another piece that I wanted to just just quickly touch on as well is that that scene, um, the when everything is frozen, and the little gnomes come into the house. And there's the person, I think yeah. me, uh, Lily runs into the house oh, yeah. and everyone's frozen. And even like the baby, just you can tell it's a yeah. doll. Yeah. Um, but at first I remember seeing that and I was like, oh, they left the doll in the cot. And then they come back and they look at it and they're like, baby, it's frozen. I'm going to eat it. And I was like, oh, no, it's an actual baby. Interesting. Yeah. not get any kind of resolution on that later. Um, it's just like, well, they, nah, the baby did they that. unfreeze? Like, I don't know what happened there. Um. But we the one version that they did show them coming, like melting or coming back to life. Yeah, maybe that could be the director's cut. That seems like, yeah. like I was saying, just those little things that feel like. It, again, it doesn't hurt the movie too much because just the thing at the start. But in terms of bringing everything full circle, that's yeah. probably something that I thought, ooh, that's missing. Oh, agreed. Yeah. But yeah, I genuinely I had a great time with this film. It's a really a really great recommendation. A fun watch. It was beautiful to watch. Just fun, something you know different, and you get to enjoy one of the sexiest freaking scenes. Oh, exactly. I I, I tell Naf my greatest fear with this podcast is someone brings their favorite film and I hate it. Like that is my greatest fear, and then having to go. I don't know what I'm going to contribute to this sort of thing. <laughs> and I'm glad to say the street continues of, I have not been disappointed with anything that we have watched. And so okay. like, and so it, it, it's so, this is just an incredible like thing that I, I really was able to appreciate. And what was cool was also being able to share with my wife who also hadn't seen it. So it was kind of a thing that getting a couple of people to watch this would be like, you know, this is really kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> it, it felt, it felt. Yeah. Thank you for sharing it with me. You also got to share it with Ellie. Very nice too. That's really yeah. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, um, it's a really good film to kick off the second season of uh, the weekly watch list too. Because it just, yeah, you've set the bar quite high. So, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have, n- that just like you guys have not heard of that movie yeah. because you're like, you know, deep into like 80s real fantasy <laughs> stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And you're going to bring it to a much wider audience. So that's cool. Absolutely. Uh, oh, and definitely. Overall, on like my rating on, uh, especially when I did my review for like Letterboxd, I ended up giving it like, I was tossing between like three and a half or four stars out of five. 
and I'm giving it four stars because it's just like yeah, it's just a really solid, solid watch. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that it tries to do, it like you know, it does what it set out to do. Um, and I'm really glad that I actually got to watch it as well. Oh, I agree with you completely. And I and that's kind of so. I guess going off of that, Naf. Um, obviously, wrapping up here, I'm guessing because I think that we kind of covered all of this stuff there. So going with it, do you want to give the audience the uh, what comes next for us? Uh, what comes next is a pretty interesting one. So um, we've got a guest coming on um, next week called Luke Likes Games. You can find him over on Instagram and YouTube. I think he does YouTube as well. Um, but uh, Luke is a big fan of like the horror genre. Um, and a bunch of stuff like that. And the film that he's bringing on is called One Cut of the Dead, which I'm not sure if you would have seen Curry at all, but he said it's one of his favorite films, and it's one that you need to not look up at all and just go in blind. So um, next week... Just wait, wait, I have seen it. Like, just... Yeah, absolutely. Um, from one death? Cut of the Dead. Of the Dead. Um, so yeah, I'll be watching that this week in preparation for next week's episode. Um, okay, might get away with not having to see it, but I'm kind of... yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah. I may not be available for tomorrow, like for that day. But uh, we are kind of working with that. We also have a couple of other one of our special guests coming on. Uh, but uh, it's going to be fantastic. This season is shaping up really well. We're very excited. And again, as as Nap said, Kari, this was the perfect way to start this off, and so so great. Yeah, and again, um, for any person watching or listening as well, um, if you do have a favorite film that you like the idea of coming on and having a chat with us about or introducing to us or something that is just kind of obscure and people haven't seen that you think more people should reach out to us you can find us across any of uh these platforms now we've got our own like one with the films twitter and instagram and tiktok pages and all that kind of stuff so you can find us you can let us know um and we can see if we can uh tee up those as well because we really want to get as many guests on here and give a platform for people to talk about the things that they love like we did with Kari here as well um, Absolutely. Yeah, but obviously wrapping up there, um, Kari, uh, thank you again so much for coming and joining us uh, today and bringing this film. It was really, really cool. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other final thoughts, or otherwise you can just let people know where they can find you once again? Sure. Um, again, um, I'm a Star Wars Thea on Twitter and um, TikTok, and Kari Skywalker on Instagram. Wonderful. Phenomenal. All right, Naf, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so I'm on second thought, anywhere you can find it. It's usually spelled differently because, I don't know, fun. Um, but yeah, on second thought across all of your uh, usual uh, social media, so Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, and on uh, YouTube. Um, yeah, what about you, Kay? Where can we find you? All right, well, you can find me at Movie K Man Opinions, uh, mostly on TikTok. You can find me at Movie Man Opinions on TikTok, Instagram, as well as on Twitter. I am just simply Movie Man Opinion because on Twitter I only have one opinion. That's that Tony Dalton is awesome. And uh, on YouTube, I am Random Stuff Entertainment. Soon it will be one with the films, uh, hopefully this season. And wrapping up, we want to thank you all so much for tuning in, listening, giving us the giving us a good review if you could find us on spotify helps with the algorithm helps us get uh, get more of this happening and proves that there's more than just one drunk squirrel listening to us so that's uh that's really great to know and just really good to hear and it does well for the morality does well for just in general like boost morale booster spirits gives us a little boost of that dopamine and god knows we all need that but thank you all and to conclude, as my friend Ragland says, if you drive into South Dakota, you're probably not in Ireland.
Ah! I hate you.